Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In today's episode, we chat with Tim Keeter about his book, Help, My Child is Being Bullied. And for the first time in Hope and Help history, we've got a second guest here to speak on this topic. Tim's son, Gabe, is with us to share a young adult's perspective on the bullying he endured as a child and how the gospel of Jesus Christ helped him to navigate those painful, difficult experiences. For more help on this topic, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Tim Keeter has been training counselors since 2004 and is a member of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. He and his wife, Carmen, have three children. Tim works as an aerospace engineer and serves as elder at Grace Community Church in Huntsville, Alabama. Hey there, Tim and Gabe. Thanks so much for joining me for the show today. Hey there, Christine. Hi, how's it going? Before we get started in our conversation, would you spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write this book? Absolutely. You know, I've been teaching on the subject probably for about eight years now. And interestingly enough, I was first asked to do that at a Christian school. So no one is immune to this this issue of bullying. But when I looked out from a publication perspective, who's writing on this? The secular community is dominating what's available to parents out there. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a topic of concern for Christian and non-Christian parents. So I saw an opportunity to provide both those sets with biblical hope and gospel-centered messaging because it's so critical how we shepherd our children through difficult times like this. The second reason was that I'm concerned about this topic, I think, is because I was a bullied child, and I've also been the parent of a bullied child. So the Lord's just provided this special compassion in my heart for those that deal with this. I want to be clear to parents and children both that we as a family now can look back after many years at both of those experiences. And and by the way, both of those experiences didn't last days and weeks. They lasted years, each of them. And we can say with confidence and genuine gratitude that the Lord has been good to us and that he has brought good things out of it. Fundamentally, this is a problem of how to respond to people who sin against us. It's it's common to man. It's common to adults. It's common to children. And parents who are going to be helping their children through this need to be skilled in this in this area of their own lives. They need to be growing in godly responses to when people sin against them if they expect to be able to shepherd their children through it. Uh, in a way that honors the Lord, that points the child to Jesus. And and two, these kinds of things are moments when we might have our children's heart and attention about spiritual things and about their relationship with Christ in a way that we may not have when things are going smoothly in our lives. Well, I'm just so thankful you took the time to write this resource because our family even has been affected and touched by bullying. And we've had to comfort our children in the midst of their pain. And sometimes as a parent, you just feel really helpless. Like, where do you even start? You know, on one sense, you're really upset that this is happening. And then the other sense, you're not really sure. What do you tell your child? You know, because there are a lot of different opinions out there about ways to handle these type of exchanges at school, whether you stick up for yourself and you start to get aggressive or you go tell a teacher. Bullying seems to be, I don't know if it's more prevalent or we're just becoming more aware of it, but it's just a really heartbreaking thing to have to walk a child through. Tim, what do you think it is about today's culture that makes bullying and 
the devastating effects it has on both children and parents seem like such a pervasive issue, maybe more so than in previous generations. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's any different fundamentally, but in my time, bullying was more about moments of violence and vandalism. I knew not to get caught alone after hours in, in the school bathroom, you know, for example. Uh, but today, you got all of that still, but the impact of technology enables those who desire to bully to do that in a very persistent way. I mean, just the child can feel like they're in this this constant, endless, merciless beating, and, and they don't see that it'll ever stop. And, and they sometimes feel helpless to defend themselves. That can happen in gaming, online gaming, uh, social media type events and venues. Uh, we've even had someone who set up a closed account posing as Gabe and bringing people in and, and doing some terrible things there. And I'm thankful, by the way, that a lot of these online services do have uh, very strict policies and they can quickly fix those things. But mm. And two, by the way, parents, it's important to have an active awareness of your child's online presence. Right. Well, I wonder how often the issue of bullying is actually kept hidden by a child who is experiencing it. In your personal and professional experience, do you find that children typically have a hard time bringing it up to their parents or caregivers? So, you know, you're a parent and I'm a parent. We know each of our children are different. And I would say if your child has a tendency to not want to talk about everything that's on their heart, you definitely want to be watching for some of those things. Uh, but yeah, it, it can be a humiliating thing for a child, and it's humiliating to anybody, I think, in those situations. And some children are going to respond to that by just withdrawing and closing in on themselves. And I would say they would probably have a tendency to do that in other areas as well. Gabe, in your experience, how did you feel as a child who was enduring bullying? Was it something that was difficult to talk to your parents about? Yeah, so for me, I mean, my, my parents have shown lots and lots of love and grace for me throughout my entire life. But even when I was when I was young and being bullied, it's just one of those things like I, I try not to I try not to think about it, try to just go home and just kind of ignore it. But what that led to is me bottling it up. And so it didn't there were times I think my parents didn't know about it until I just kind of lost it, kind of exploded a little bit. So moments like like watching where how they may react to certain instances may be helpful to kind of identify some of those those issues. Yeah, Tim, in your experience, are there things that you would advise parents to be on the lookout for or observations about their child's behavior at home that might alert them to a possible bullying issue going on? Yeah, actually, Gabe referred to, you know, one of them was just the fact that it's a intense, painful situation. And those are not emotions that anybody likes to have. Right. And so you would, you might see this sinfully strong desire though to escape these unwanted emotions you know we, we don't want them but they can become a sinful treasure to escape them and have relief from them and and so they may turn to what i've, I've read stuart scott calls a false refuge mm -hmm. uh to escape from that to avoid talking about anything in terms of school and friends even to the point of withdrawal or even deception you might find that they, your child does that and it's because again they're trying to avoid unwanted emotions it's they want a refuge at home, and so they don't want to talk about it. Or they may suppress their feelings in unbiblical ways. They might find refuge in things like hobbies and food and forms of entertainment, or even things that are clearly sinful like cutting or alcohol or drugs. You see them turn to these kinds of things as a refuge, not just it's not just a form of entertainment anymore. And, and a parent wants to help them move from the principal desire to escape unwanted, emotion, unwanted emotions toward a patient hope in God. 
God doesn't want us to avoid talking about our pain. He encourages it. And there's so many psalmists that give us just beautiful examples of that. So a parent can help their child once they do notice that, to cry out to a God to slowly admit their weakness and their doubts and their concerns and boldly ask God to help them rest on His faithfulness, uh, God's faithfulness. Uh, and, And He doesn't want us to resort to sinful means to escape. It pleases the Lord for our children and for us to bear up under a load while relying on His grace. And that, that's one thing. Another might be an intense, an intensification of like negative self-perceptions. You know, bullies, bullies capitalize on the differences between your child and others a lot of times. It's not always the case, but it's an obvious snare that can tempt your child to buy into those kinds of comparisons. So you can listen for those things to in their, in, you know, they begin to focus on like maybe how small they are or how bad they are at sports or other things. And, and you can see them begin to take those values on themselves. And, and you want to help them have an accurate view of themselves. There's been some wonderful tools for that. But the idea is to take each perception and categorize it as inaccurate. So in other words, I'm stupid all the time, right? That's not an accurate perception. Let's, let's reevaluate that. Or I'll always mess everything up. Uh, would be another example. Um, another bucket we might put them in are accurate things, but they're not sinful. Like I'm not good at sports or I'm really small for my age, uh, those types of things. They're accurate, but they're not sinful. And we need to help them change what's valuable to them by seeing what's valuable to the Lord, which is godliness. Or maybe it's an accurate and sinful perception. You know, I have a bad temper and that requires biblical repentance. So help them see themselves accurately the way the Lord does, but not to value the things that maybe the bully would tempt them to. A third one would be a bitter spirit. If your bully child who has definitely been wronged, um, but in that hurt or humiliation, they can respond with bitterness mm-hmm. and an unwillingness to even consider anything that might be good to come out of this or even overcoming evil with good the way the Lord directs us to in Romans 12, 14 through 21. So you might see them have an elevated bitterness or anger toward the bully or towards other people, right? Maybe they're not telling you that they're that they're bullying them. Uh, or even, even a teacher. I think Gabe even struggled for a time at some bitterness towards a teacher for not protecting him from that. They may go off and relay events over and over in their mind. You may see them entertaining fantasies or plots for revenge or demonstrating just prideful responses, you know, about Oh, why does everything, you know, why does everybody think I'm stupid? I'm smarter than all those idiots. You know, that was actually my personal go-to and a sinful one as a bullied child. And I'd say a response for a parent there would be to help their child move from bitter spirit toward compassionate kindness. You know, Paul tells the Colossians to put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. And to do that, we help them deliberately reflect on the gospel. It helps put circumstances into perspective when other people wrong us because— We have wronged God infinitely more, and it has cost God to forgive us, and it will cost us to overlook transgressions and move forward to seeing other people as image bearers of God. And so with your child, you can ask the Lord to help both of you to grow in kindness and compassion toward the bully. Um, I think Gabe has some interesting perspectives on that when I asked him some of the things that helped him the most in this area. Yeah, so some of the most, probably some of the most fond memories I have as a child actually or when uh, immediately after maybe blowing up or, or getting frustrated, my parents sitting me down and praying with me for the bully. Uh, it just kind of act as a, a sobering reminder that the person who's bullying you, just like you, was made in the image of God. And his need of Christ is just as much as my need. And I'm blessed to have my status in Christ as a child of God. But 
in the sense, if not for God's grace, I could be in the same situation that they're in. Part of what helped with this was just developing a heart for the lost. And in that sense, too, is kind of more of a broad picture mm-hmm. uh, because it allows me even now to kind of help develop the uh, idea where sometimes you get Christians in college and stuff where they're like afraid, almost afraid to talk to unbelievers. And I don't I don't experience that because as a bullied child, my parents were certain to make sure that I developed a heart for those people and not just shying away from them. Well, I think based on everything I'm hearing from both you, Gabe, and your father, Tim, and the conversations I've had here on the podcast, and then in my own experiences, is just the importance of discipleship in the parent-child relationship. Because as we're kind of working through some of these things, we're starting to really even unpack in terms of the topic of bullying, that a lot of the behaviors that we might witness as parents are more like symptoms of a deeper issue that we aren't yet aware of. And we need to really draw out and be wise counselors, wise parents and draw out our children's heart. But I think it really takes being in a position where we have some kind of relationship with our child that is in good standing where we can talk. And I know that even sometimes, you know, Gabe, you mentioned that sometimes that's a really hard conversation. But I think just remembering how important just in general to be a discipler of your child, so that they feel like they have a safe space. And yeah, maybe they don't want want to talk about something going on in their life right that second. But you're constantly, I think, as a parent, inviting them to, hey, if there is something going on, you know, I want to know. I want to know how I can pray for you. I want to know how I can come alongside you and help you. And so I just I love kind of hearing that echoed uh, through what both of you guys are sharing, because I think it does highlight the importance of having a discipleship relationship, especially when we're helping our children navigate the really difficult, painful seasons of life. It's like bullying or anxiety or depression. So thank you both for sharing your perspectives on that particular part of the issue. Now, let's move on to something more practical. And let's just say that bullying has just been uncovered or reported. And the caregivers are trying to process how to move forward appropriately to help their child. Can you offer us, Tim, some biblical wisdom for how we might handle those early days as we attempt to figure out what's going on? Yeah, those are scary moments, and those are sometimes they feel the most unstable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have so many questions that you want answered, and you don't have them answered, and you know your your heart's caught up in this. It's just this emotional hodgepodge of all kinds of things, everywhere from anger to fear to frustration, and all kinds of things. But and this is why part of the reason I wrote the mini book, and I'm really glad it's a mini book because in those kind of t- moments, you don't want to read a tome that's 800 pages long. You want something short that can get you focused. And I'd say the first thing you really want to do is discern how urgent the situation is or from a position of safety. The general rule of thumb there is always to err on the side of caution regarding your child's physical safety. Ask specific questions once you learn about it, about threats, the individuals involved, potential witnesses. Uh, If there's been any evidence of physical abuse, take note of it, pictures and things like that. If there's any concern, ensure their safety. And if you need to, go to those in authority for advice and assistance, because odds are many of them, especially if it occurs at the school or in some some organization, they've been trained in this area. And they can help you come up with an action plan that matches the level of the threat and doesn't overreact to it or underreact to it. If there is criminal activity, including some cyber activities, which can be criminal, report it to the appropriate authorities. And you are within your biblical rights to take advantage of that. And, you know, take pictures and those kinds of things of uh, anything that's been posted online. 
And I would say this too, Christine, if you're, if this is a situation where you believe your child is considering suicide or moving in that direction, everything that I'm writing about in this book is you put that on the table. That's a crisis management situation. And, and you need to take steps to stabilize that first mm-hmm. and get it back to the point where you can have these conversations that we're talking about here, Lord willing to regain that. But, and, and I would say Shepherd Press, among others, have some excellent biblical resources for that situation, but that's not really the context of, of what I'm writing for. And I would say, you know, just three more quick things. Pray for and seek wisdom. We need to be reminded that we need wisdom. God doesn't need to be reminded of it. We do, that we need His wisdom. And God loves to give us wisdom. Even when we encounter various trials, James tells us, let Him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. It's God's character that we are to to focus on there because God gives wisdom and he is generous. And by the way, you need wisdom because your child is watching. You know, there's that old parenting adage, more is caught than taught. And you have to model what you want your child to become in this this trial. Do you want your child to respond to evil even the way that you respond to it, to being wrong to the way that you respond to it? Gather data. This is number three, I would say in my list of four here, properly hear a matter before you answer it. We don't want to be foolish. But no one, not even your child, is infallible in their observations and omniscient in their knowledge. You have to be on a continual quest to understand what's happening. And then finally, and I think this one's so important to kind of ground it, is to remind you yourself and your child and your family that we should expect only good from God. And and I love, you know, Romans 8, 28 through all the way through 32, I would say, that that God promises that He, for every believer, He causes, He forces, He subjugates every trial to help us become more like Christ and to glorify himself. And he reminds us in verse 32, you know, first 30, starting in verse 31, actually, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And truth be known, and I'm, I'm not the best at this at all times, but when I'm at my best, I remember that there is no greater desire than to be made more like my Redeemer. Even greater than desire for relief from my trial. Faithful obedience forces us to do business with what's going on in our heart and to put first things first. Well, Tim, I think if we're honest with ourselves, most parents would admit that sometimes they're not always very gracious in the way that they handle difficulties going on in their their children's lives. And so I think, you know, you were talking about the importance of modeling to our children what a Christ-like reaction to this type of a situation would look like. But, you know, at the same time, even parents are sinners who oftentimes will get impatient or perhaps respond in an unchrist-like way. And so I wondered if you might help us to see, with the power of the Holy Spirit helping us as well, what are some of the unhelpful or even hurtful ways that caregivers might initially respond to their child's claim that they are being bullied? I'd like to toss this one to Gabe. Yeah, so I would say, first things first, uh, while correction and going after sin is is important and it's vital, uh, the very first thing I think that parents need to do and caregivers need to do is to comfort the child. If a child is being feels like they're being lectured and their emotions aren't being tended to, they're going to clamp up and not really listen. Uh, that was kind of sometimes the reaction I would have in instances. But praying with them and loving them and being there for them and listening is, is a vital part of that. Um, and just making sure that fathers specifically reflect the love of God the Father that that God has for us. Uh, in those instances, those are the types of things that I remember being the most helpful. 
you know, I'll say this, that, uh, that even though I can write these things and even though I've been through them, I was not without a need to repent either. And I'd say one of the most unhelpful things um, that we can do is to not repent when we have responded sinfully either in front of our child or to them. It can be encouraging for them, though, to see a parent turn to the Lord in repentance in those moments. And, you know, the thing Gabe referred to about, about loving them and comforting them first, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 kind of tells us that we're to admonish the unruly with patience. Definitely do that. Or to comfort the faint-hearted or small-souled with patience and uphold the weak with patience. And if the dominant situation right there is the fact that our child is small-souled, if they're faint-hearted, then let us run first to comfort them. It's, and I would say, too, one other thing that can be really hurtful is to ignore Scripture. It's hurtful to our child to neglect and ignore the very thing that they need the most, and that's the Lord. Our unsaved child's greatest need is not relief from the bully. As much as we want that for them, it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And for our child who does walk with the Lord, their greatest need and benefit is to glorify God through faithful obedience in the trial, and that's to be sought after even more than relief. One more thing, too, is uh, when Dad mentioned earlier, when you're determining the severity of the situation, don't immediately assume that things are bad or, or make sure that your child at least doesn't see that because they may want to kind of protect that and be like, oh, no, it's not that big a deal, downplay it type thing. You want, to, you want, to be, you want them to be as honest with you as possible, so making sure not to overreact and overplay the situation. Well, and moving forward with trying to work with your child to figure out, okay, what is the next step forward in this situation? Are there some things that caregivers can do to equip their child to actually engage with a bully as it's happening at the school campus or even on the video game or social media? Absolutely. And and what we're really talking about, Christine, is, is having our child bend out the grace that they have in, in, in Christ to others. And to do that first, we have to fix our eyes on, on God and His character and to rest on that. I'm a huge fan of Jerry Bridges in so many areas, and in particularly a book that's always been helpful to me is Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of that, he says, we don't know the extent, the duration, or the frequency of the painful adverse circumstances in which we must frequently trust God, but it's always important to trust God. It's just as important as it is to, is to obey Him. And he reminds us, so the Keters have always relied upon three things that he summarizes at the beginning of that book. And that's that at all times, God is perfect in his love. Therefore, he wants what is best for us at all times. Secondly, he is infinite in his wisdom. So not only does he want what is best for us, he knows what is best for us. And third, that he is completely sovereign. That's a beautiful threesome right there, isn't it? That he wants and knows what is best for us, and he will never fail to bring that about. And that's a relief that we don't have to know, and our child doesn't have to know how it's all going to work out. We can trust God to accomplish everything that is good and right at all times. As a matter of fact, the very definition of what is good and right is what God does. I mean, He defines that. And so from that, we can move to having the right at heart attitude toward the bully. This sort of things that Gabe was talking about earlier, about learning to have a compassionate love and concern for the lost. And, and I think I, I automatically, in my mind, go to Romans 12 when I think of those kinds of things. That, that 12th chapter, as a matter of fact, it begins with a command for us to have our minds continually transformed, to not think like the world does, but to be transformed so that we live for Christ instead of conforming to worldly behavior. Right after that, right on the heels of that, he talks about you know loving and practicing hospitality to our brothers and sisters. And then by the time he gets down to verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you, 
bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He's not taking some awkward left-hand turn there. That's connected. But he's talking about those who persecute us. Even when he says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, what's up with that, right? But what he's saying is if we're going to think and act like the unredeemed world, like he talked about not doing in the earlier verses, then we will curse those who wrong us. And we will seek to exact revenge. But if we're renewed in the spirit, like he calls us and exhorts us to do, we'll not only refrain from that, but we'll actually seek to bless those who wrong us. And we'll seek to show genuine compassion towards them. He tells us that even after that to overcome evil with good, not to, not to accept a stalemate. So we want to help our child to ask God to help them forsake anything within them that promotes the, that sinful, vengeful thinking that belongs, you know, vengeance belongs to the Lord and he never does it with sin, but we will if we try to take his spot. And to help our child pray for a heart, to have a plan, to show kindness to the bully in one way or another, uh, whenever given an opportunity, and, and to be prepared for those moments, to even suffer for the sake of Christ, if that's the case. And I'm not talking about not defending yourself, but just if even if it means the only response I can think of is sinful, then don't do it because nothing is worth saying against God. But look for ways to encourage or, or even just to pray for God to do good in the bully's life, I think is an important first step. We don't have to immediately run down the hall or run down to the playground and try to talk to the bully like all of a sudden he's going to be your friend. You know, we want to be realistic there too. Can you maybe even break that down a little bit in terms of, Tim, would you ever suggest that parents might role play in a situation where they, I mean, they really feel like, okay, I'm sending my child back to school tomorrow and she's probably going to see this mean girl who's probably going to come up again and say the same nasty things she's been saying and I want to help my child not feel so helpless in that situation, what should we do besides all the other things that you've already mentioned? What can I give my child in terms of here's something you might respond with? Or, I mean, what are your suggestions for that? Is that something that you would suggest parents think through? You know, I think it's important in any child to kind of practice what obedience looks like, right? I know the temptation to kind of load them up with all the snappy responses that they can have. Um, and, and you'll have to gauge that with your own child. I haven't found that necessarily to be the most helpful thing, but I do think it's helpful to have them think through different scenarios, what they're going to do, whether it's just to turn and walk away mm-hmm. uh, or whether it's just to, um, if something you know happens well to the, to that individual who's been wrong for them to go, Hey, congratulations, you got you know, you won this award or you did that kind of thing and then just walk away. It doesn't have to be some overwhelming moment like we might see in the TV shows or the movies where all of a sudden everything is good again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the best thing, you know, Romans twelve eighteen is part of that passage where we're so far as it up to you, live at peace with all men. And if we see that any reaction is only just going to going to amp that up a little bit or if it's going to tempt our child to sin and they're just not ready to handle that, then you know, we, we can walk through that with them. But the heart, the big thing is within their own heart, how are they turning to the Lord in this situation? How are they desiring, at least standing in a spirit of wanting to bend that grace out, wanting that bully to know the love of Christ and seeing that they have a desperate need for that? Do you think it's ever prudent for the caregivers of a bullied child to engage the parents of the alleged bully? Are there some biblical principles we can look to in terms of how to conduct ourselves if the situation gets to that point? And that's a really sticky one, right? Because, you know, I know if one of my child is going to is doing things like that to another, I totally want to know. 
-hmm. And I would, I would greatly appreciate it, even though I would have to get over my own personal sinful embarrassment or, you know, I'm the, I'm the biblical counselor. I can't, my cow can't be doing that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I would, I would want that. But I realized too, that some parents are are only going to make that worse. They're going to maybe even applaud it in certain cases, uh, that we've experienced as well. So yeah, a number of principles come to mind and I would just say, seek wisdom in this area, talk to some people. We've even gone to other individuals we could trust that knew that family and said, listen, do you think it would be wise for us to go to them? But I'd say a couple things, gather information thoroughly. We've talked about the importance of not answering a matter before you've heard it, uh, before you go, if you're going to do that. And if you do make sure you have the right motive, the right attitude and the goal, I'm not going to them uh, as, a, as a means of vengeance or merely to punishment. You know, the, the bully's soul is far more important pursuit here than the pound of flesh you may want to get uh, through their parents. You know, Ephesians 4.29, Paul tells us that every word that comes out of our mouth needs to be wholesome. It needs to be edifying. To the Colossians in 4.16, he, he writes that it should give grace to everyone who hears, seasoned with salt and all the images that we get from, from the biblical writings on that. If we go, we need to be prepared that we're actually trying to do what we just talked about having our child do, bless them, uh, encourage them to be okay with having to parent through this situation and realizing that we have a common goal here of of trying to help both of our children. Another principle is that parents are responsible. So I am concerned that there's another parent that really takes that seriously, that they're going to have to give an account to God and they should know that we would want to come alongside parents to help them. But, you know, like I said, in a reality of a fallen world with unbelievers, we know, we may not be dealing with parents who care or have those same goals. So Romans 12, 18, again, is another principle of, of making sure we're living peaceably with everyone. Uh, will it create a gospel opportunity? Will it make things worse? I don't know. We might have to find out. And if you do decide to confront, do it in a spirit of, well, this consistent with the fruit of the spirit, gentleness, humility love with a goal to restore like in right after Galatians 5:22 he goes to Galatians 6:1 and we see that we're to restore in a spirit of gentleness and humility and to be controlled by the love of Christ all that remembering that your child is watching how you handle this and learning themselves can you explain some of the damage that bullying can do to a child's spirit i know we've already talked about some of the behavioral issues that might stem from a child walking through this experience, but I'd like to just have a long view of what kind of a toll it actually can take on a child's spirit. This type of experience, as well as any kind of suffering, can cause wounds on a heart, you know, scars in in some sense. And so what do parents need to be mindful of in terms of helping their child's heart to heal from the pain of the possible injustice or prejudice or slander that they've endured? Um, Gabe, are there some things that even 10 years later that you're still seeing that, that you have to work through because of that? Yeah. Um, for starters, the obvious one is demoralizing, right? Is the tendency to fear others or try to fit in a little bit more by joining into other things. But as far as the long view goes, it kind of created a me versus the world attitude, very prideful look at the world where all these mm-hmm. people around me don't like me. Who cares? Forget about them. Mm-hmm. They're not important. You know, those types of the types of thought process that distanced and uh, created a distrust of social interactions, mm-hmm. which, you know, it really opposes the biblical one another's word, you know, being told to love people and to bear with people and love one another and serve the others and those types of things. Um, and a lot of these things, it can be difficult to spot even 10 years later in college. Like for me, like no, not knowing how really to make friends, um, not really knowing how to be a friend. I don't like it's it's something I'm still learning even now how to do. 
and how to form deep relationships and those types of things. Because like going into college, it was very much, oh, I'm finally getting away from high school and all those bad memories. I'm just going to kind of forget about it, you know, and I'm going to go and I'm going to make a bunch of friends have good deep friendships and uh, so on and so forth. But that's not really, I mean, most people I imagine listening to this know it's not how the world works. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be very difficult to uh, spot a lot of those those prideful points. Pride, I guess pride is the main, main thing to look out for, but a lot of those things can be uh, kind of hidden back. You take your heart with you, right? So I think that one of the biggest things is, is parents <clears throat> helping their child to get their eyes off themselves and put their eyes on Jesus, right? There's this intense... Yeah. self-focus that can come with that that type of pride. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense, Gabe. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing a bit about uh, how you're still walking through some of the, the spiritual healing that needs to happen from those experiences you had with bullying. We've got time for a couple more questions. So I want to ask you, are there some practical ways that caregivers can come alongside their child to offer them comfort and soul care related to this problem? Yeah, we already mentioned, you know, prayer for the bully daily and even regularly we even had a picture for one particular kid that uh where they had been friends before and we stuck it up on his desk for him to look at and it was a time when they were actually friends and laughing and having a good time but you know and from that planning tangible ways you know, with a child to understand what would what, what a deliberative act of kindness might look like uh, another in just general is just doing acts of service again when when my eyes are on myself one of the things i need to do to counter that is to do selfless things. And we're in church families that, that we're called to, to serve and love and, and get your child involved in those kinds of things and realize that that's an important part of being a believer in a community of other believers in your local church. Look to others who are suffering and, and help your child develop compassion for them and plan ways to encourage them in those kinds of things, even sending cards or going and visiting them, meeting physical needs. Uh, another really great tool that I have used and, and benefited from from so many years, ever since I first learned about it from Jay Adams, are think lists. There are things that we want our child to have in their heads, right? We're, we're to train the way we think about things, and we want, our, we want biblical truth coursing through our child, between our child's earlobes so that when they're tempted again— that that will come back to mind. And so you can write these little short lists and please, you know, make it no more than five or six things at a time, not 30 or 40, like I might be tempted to, <laughs> but to help them interpret, because we're interpreters. That's what we are. We, we interpret, we evaluate things around us to help them interpret, reason, and think through this issue. You know, we hear an event that happened and, and the first thing we want to do, do is sometimes say, oh, well, you should have said this, or you should have done that. But really, because their behavior, the Bible teaches us, flows out of their heart, and I'm thinking Luke 6.45, right? Out of the evil treasures of the heart come forth what is evil. Out of the good treasures come forth what is good. Really, the first question we should ask is the next time something like this happens, what should you be wanting? And we can answer that with biblical truth and confidence. And then what thoughts might you need to remind yourself? And then what behavior should flow from that? What should you do then? So you can reg- you can take these lists that are tied to biblical verses and truths and things and help them practice them and write them out and memorize them, sort of like you would catechize a child. And, and I think a good one, too, is an eternal perspective, is part of your think list. Gabe was just now wrote on a notepad, remember to, to remind them that it will end. And, and not just the trial, but even the Bible calls a lifelong trial a little while, doesn't, doesn't it, Christine? Mm-hmm. That he will perfect us through that. And that the greatest thing about sanctification, our spiritual growth, is that it will one day end and the Lord will complete it in us. And we can point our child to that. 
I would like to go ahead and invite you to do something that I ask every guest on the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode, Tim, who is caring for a bullied child. They are heartbroken and angry over the situation, but they aren't sure the best way to go about helping their child address what is happening to them. What would you say to this listener to encourage them to look to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the hope and help they need in navigating bullying? Mom or dad, God's grace is sufficient for you. It's not on pause right now, even though what you're experiencing is likely very painful and confusing and hurtful. But instead, the Lord has provided you with help and hope in his word. And if you're a Christian parent, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection means that you do not have to sin in this trial. It means that you're able to honor and obey your father. It means you have access to infinite wisdom, God's infinite wisdom. It means your father, who is sovereign and loving and holy and wise, will cause this trial to do you good. It means you have a God-given capacity to love those who sin against you and your family. You're able to do that. And it means you can boldly approach an understanding Savior to find deep compassion, the source of all comfort, and unfailing help in this time of need. Well, thank you for that, Tim. And you know what, Gabe, I'd like to also invite you to answer this question. In fact, this is the very first interview where I've had two people uh, <laughs> to be able to talk to. So I figure, well, why not go ahead and give two different answers on this very last closing question? So Gabe, talking to the bullied child, if there is someone yeah. who is listening to this episode who is currently living in that particular situation, as a 21-year-old young man who has walked this path, what would you say to that listener to encourage them to look to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the hope and help that they need in navigating the season of bullying in their own lives? For those of you who are maybe listening who are in this trial right now, I want to encourage you that no matter what, no matter how long you sit there and wish that you could, I don't know, move or in this trial immediately in whatever fashion that may be, I want to encourage you that no matter what, no matter what human is, is hurting you or failing you in this, this instance, God will never fail you. So turn, turn to God and uh, turn to your church. Something that, that was encouraging to me is the people at your church can be very helpful, a uh, good, good place to get Christian community and good advice. So even if you don't always feel perfectly comfortable talking to your parents about these things, you, there's more than likely you can find someone at your church be it an elder or a youth pastor or someone else in the youth, I can help you walk through this and, and make sure that you are praying and looking for the uh, opportunity to, to serve others as we were talking about. And remember that no matter what, this will end. It will end no matter how long it goes on. You know, God is always going to be there and he will do what's best for you. Well, thank you both so much for sharing those closing encouragements. I was really refreshed by this conversation. I'm just so thankful you guys took the time to appear on the show today to talk about this really important topic that I know a lot of families may be even suffering silently over. And so I'm just really thankful. And Gabe, thank you again for your transparency. Tim, thank you so much for putting effort and time into writing this mini book with the Lifeline mini book series at Shepherd Press. It's a valuable resource. Parents, I cannot recommend this book enough. If you are walking a child through a season of bullying, you definitely want to equip yourself with this mini book in terms of getting you encouragement, biblical wisdom, and practical application steps for moving forward. Well, thank you guys so much again for joining me tonight. It was a really great conversation, and I hope that many people will be blessed by the conversation and also the mini book. Our pleasure, Christine. Thanks for having us. 
Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.